day it is to gather and to say, Happy Father's Day. And it is so glorious to sing songs that remind us that God is our eternal Father also. Will you stand as we sing, Glorious is thy name, most holy. First line says, God and Father. Father, as we come here today, we thank you for earthly fathers who, who loved us and modeled for us what a heavenly father might be like. And we had the opportunity to know you as a God of love and grace and mercy. I also pray for those whose earthly fathers, as we all, have fallen short. And we pray that you would overcome uh, the obstacles that children face to know that that our Heavenly Father loves us and is with us always. Bless us in worship. Speak to us, Lord, and move us closer to you to love and serve and follow in your name. For we ask it in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. We do want to welcome you to First Baptist Church, and it is Father's Day, and we do celebrate... Um, you know, who our fathers and the difference, the impact that they make in our, in our children's lives and even as we become adults. And this is my first year without my father, and um, uh, it is, you know, there is a void there. And, um, and I appreciate so much um, the godly fathers that are here and the impact that you're going to make on your children um, and as you hand down that spiritual legacy. And um, we sometimes don't realize that, how important it is, and what a blessing. There's no greater gift than you can give them than to love the Lord and to know him. 
If this is your first time worshiping with us, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. We're going to ask that you, along with, with our members, tear off that little slip inside your bulletin for us so that we have a record of your visit. Um, if you'll just put your name on there, regular attenders, and any changes we need to know, and drop it in the offering plate in just a moment for us. And if you are visiting, um, just fill that out so we can get some more information to you about First Baptist. So First Baptist, if everyone would stand and just greet one another. Good morning, boys and girls. How are you today? God, Emily, y'all come down this way so I can see all y'all better. Come on down this way some. That's good. Come on. How are you today? How are you doing? Y'all look up here at me. Who can tell me what, what's special about today? Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. That's right. It's Happy Father's Day. And, and what are you going to do for your fathers today? Any ideas? Make a card. That's a good thing. You already did that? Anything else? Do what? You gonna make a tree house for your father? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I know he would enjoy playing in that. All right. Ah. Well, James Morris, I gave the Happy Club bag to last week, and he was here in Bible school. But I think uh, his parents, are, he and I, are out of town this week, so they gave this to me Thursday, I think, and I have not looked in it. I promise. I have not. I was tempted. But I did not. So I know they left a note, but that's all I know about what's in here. Let's see. Here's the note. Brother Wayne, this is special to me. My family and I are on vacation. We are watching you online. 
James Morris. All right, James, watching online. I wonder where they are. Online, okay. Baseball, let's see. Five-star Tift County Recreation Department T-ball 2012. How about that? It's gold. Do you think it's real gold? Sparkly gold. It's very valuable, not just because of what it's made of, but because of what it means to James. And, and you know, boys and girls, how many of y'all have trophies? I really wanted a trophy when I was a kid. And I, I w- tried to figure out what way could I get a trophy that the easiest way. Your grandfather gave you one of his. Well, that's nice. Yeah. But it's really cool if you earn a trophy all by yourself because it recognizes like an accomplishment. It recognizes something extraordinary that you have done. And, uh, you know, I just, I just remember what the Bible says. that It doesn't say that they're trophies for us, but it does say there is laid up for us a crown of righteousness. And a crown is kind of like what they gave as trophies back in Jesus' day. If somebody ran real fast in a race or, or uh, you know, won, or won some kind of contest, they wouldn't give them trophies. They would give them crowns, and they would put that crown on their head. So I think what Jesus is saying is that if we love him and serve him and obey God and follow him, can y'all, can y'all hear me okay? If we follow him, then there will be laid up for us a crown of righteousness, which is like a trophy. And that's what we want one day for God to say, you've done a good job. Here's your crown. Here's your trophy. So T-ball trophies are really cool. And I know James is probably a good athlete and, um, and earned this playing T-ball. But it's going to be even more important, boys and girls, one day to receive a crown like a trophy that God has intended for us. So let's pray and ask God to help us live the kind of lives that will, that will be pleasing in his sight. Let's bow together. You pray after me. Dear God, help us run the race that you've given us and win the crown in store for us in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, boys and girls, thank you. And I'm going to make sure James gets this trophy back. And it's a girl's turn, Miss Sabina. Where's Kate? Will you take the bag home, sweetie, and bring something special back next week? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. If you'd like to go to children's worship, you can go with Miss Sabina. Some of you that know me and know my family uh, know that two years ago we came real close to losing my father. And uh, I sang the song for him last year on Father's Day, and I want to sing it for you this year. And uh, and I found out in the in the days following his accident, while he was in the hospital, um, I started reflecting back because of how close we came to losing him. And I, I, I look back at my life with him, the things that he and I had done. And uh, I realized that, especially in today's age, dads are always trying to be 
heroes to their kids. And, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it, it's real important to watch what you do, watch what you say. Because what matters most is, is the walk that you walk day, day in and day out. It's what they're watching. And that's what's going to mold their minds and how they're going to be a father one day. Everybody covets And everybody lies Everybody does it Sometime in their lives And we all slip And we don't mean to That don't mean you Can't make it right it's the path you take, the steps you make that make you who you are. It's the life you live, the gifts you give, the love that's in your heart. Just try to do the best you can to be a better man. You don't have to walk on water. How you walk on land And everybody judges Everybody else Everybody does it To everyone but themselves we know what's right And we still go wrong And life still goes on Even when we fail It's the path you take The steps you make That make you who you are It's the life you live The gifts you give The love that's in your heart Try to do the best you can To be a better man You don't have to walk on water It's how you walk on It's the path you take, the steps you make that make you who you are. It's the life you live, the gifts you give, the love that's in your heart. Just try to do the best you can to be a better man. You don't have to walk on water. Or is how you walk on land. You don't have to walk on water. 
Many of you know that I am a father of three girls and a grandfather of two daughters. I have received photos and emails and cards this morning assuring me that I was the best father in the whole world. <laughs> you may argue with that, but uh, I'm glad my girls have the assurance that I love them, and I do very much. We have a promise like that from our Father. It comes from Deuteronomy 33:27 says, the God of old is your refuge, and he's holding you up with everlasting arms. I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing number 333, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Please stand. something before I pray uh, all of you know we had Bible school this week and it was so evident that we had had a lot of prayers go up for our Bible school but something happened that uh, just I don't know touched my heart in a real special way I didn't know who the child was I didn't know if uh, she had he had come with a neighbor or if he had bust, been bust in but he was just a very special little boy, and toward the end of the week, I had a conversation with him, and when you walk from the nursery area to the chapel, you have a lot of time to talk. 
And the child was not happy at first, and the more I got to know him, I asked him if he came to Sunday school, and he said no. And I said, where do you go to Sunday school? Well, he said, Annabelle Clark. And I thought, I said, no, where do you go to Sunday school on Sunday morning? And he thought about it, and he said, oh, uh, I don't go to Sunday school on Sunday morning. We sleep. Now, you may think that I, when, when this friend came with her children to pick up this little boy, I realized she brought two preschoolers, two teenagers. And if you've had a, a preschool and a teenager lately, you know that uh, you've got your hands full just that. And she stopped and picked this little boy up brought him to Sunday school, and by the end of the week, we, know, we knew that he had had a very, very special week. And so it just touched my heart, and it took me back to years ago when someone stopped and asked me to come to Sunday school and come to church and brought me, and I learned about missions, and I learned about God's love. And I will tell you, I learned it at Bible school and Sunday school and mission friends and it just it brought back so many memories and I just thought I would share that we may be busy getting to Sunday school and church or Bible school but we need to stop and look down the street because there may be a little boy a little girl that needs to know that something is happening up here on Sunday morning and it just um, I, I just like it took me back I'll have to say many, many, many years, 70-something years, and I just, I was overwhelmed when it, when I thought about that. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you this morning with praise and thanksgiving. We, we just praise you for who you are and what you are, Father, and we know that uh, you do love us in, in a very special way, and we know that we here at First Baptist and in all of our churches around, we're concerned about missions, but Father, we need to stop and realize that right next door, we may have someone that really needs to be loved and touched and invited and brought to church. There may be a little girl, a little four-year-old girl that has crossed eyes and um, glasses and feels unloved and, and comes to, to know you in a very special way through the love of uh, a Sunday school teacher, a mission friends, a GA teacher. And Father, we never know how we will touch another life. All we have to do is trust you and believe you and, and depend on you to be with us as everything we do and say. And that, that we just know that we're in your hands, Father, and whether we're in missions in China, <clears throat> around the world, or we're in missions right down the street in Tifton, Georgia, we know that you love us and that you will be with us and guide us and direct us in everything we do and say. And we just praise you and thank you for, the, for this as we bring our tithes and offerings to you with our praise and our thanksgiving. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, choir. That's a new arrangement of, of going home, isn't it? I heard the old melody and the piano, I think, a little bit. I couldn't help but think of James Bowen singing that, that, that signature song of his. So many of our, our godly men have gone home, and uh, we as a church family are, are thankful to have had men and fathers uh, who, have, who have led the way for us on Father's Day, an important day, not just because of the importance of the family unit, uh, but also because of the, the importance that the father has to point children to God. It's hard to hear about the love of a heavenly father if you've never felt the love of an earthly father. Um, but, but men uh, and fathers today have that awesome responsibility, overwhelming at times. Not only, as uh, Ricky talked about, to talk about um, what it means to be a follower of God, but to live it out daily in the, in the home. It's been fun to preach one sermon from each book of the Bible. And what is really fun is when I get to a book of the Bible and there's a special emphasis on a Sunday. So I come to 1 Corinthians on Father's Day. And uh, I have the challenge of, of finding something about fathers in 1 Corinthians. I know I could fall back on 1 Corinthians 13 and talk about love in a generic sense. But there is a whole chapter dealing with families in 1 Corinthians 7. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter because there's some strange things going on in Corinth we don't need to talk about in church. Um, but I, I, have, I have picked out some verses that talk about families. And Paul addresses, it must be some specific issues in Corinth, because he says in verse 1, concerning the matters about which you wrote. So apparently Corinth had written Paul and had some specific questions that they needed, needed some, some guidance on, some, some dealing with. And so Paul writes back in this letter, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, specifically addresses some issues. I picked out some verses Talking about the importance of family. Verse 10. To the married I give charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. If she does, let her remain single or else be reconciled to her husband. The husband should not divorce his wife. Verse 17. Only let everyone lead the life which the Lord has assigned to him and which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please his wife. Isn't that right, married men? Anxious about how to please your wife? Amen. Uh, we could do better than that. The interest, his interests are divided. That's Paul's point. If you're married, not only are you concerned about the world, but you're also concerned about your wife, your family, your home. His interests are divided. The unmarried woman or girl is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. The married woman is anxious about worldly affairs and how to please her husband. I say this, I heard some amens on that. I think that was some men saying amens too. I don't know. I say this for your benefit, your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That was Paul's interest. Whether you're unmarried, whether you're married, whether you're whatever, whatever condition you are, your family unit, 
Paul's desire is that you are devoted to the Lord, that you serve the Lord, that your family glorifies God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as the family is in a state of transition. One thing remains the same, and that is that the family unit is to love and glorify the God. God and parents are to raise the children to do the same. Let's bow together. Father, as we come on, on Father's Day, we thank you that, that you love us with an unconditional love, a love that is rare in the world today. Help us learn from that love. Love you and love each other and love our families with reckless abandon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> There's an outline in your worship bulletin if you need to follow along. Several years ago, Susan, Catherine, and I went to England and got to tour some historic sites in London. One of the great landmarks in the city of London is St. Paul's Cathedral. St. Paul's Cathedral was built by architect Christopher Wren after a terrible London fire in 1666. So about the mid-17th century, Wren uh, was responsible for rebuilding a large part of London, but he, sp he spent most of his time on St. Paul's Cathedral, one of the three largest cathedrals in the world today. 35 years, and anxious at the conclusion to bring Queen Anne in to tour the facility to get her, her feedback, her opinion of it. And when Queen Anne came in, you can imagine how anxious and nervous Sir Christopher Wren was. She looked around at the magnificent edifice and said, This is awful. This is amusing. This is artificial. And Christopher Wren said, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because in the 17th century, awful meant full of awe, awe inspiring. Amusing meant amazing. And artificial meant artistic. So she was complimenting him. This is awe-inspiring. This is amazing. This is artistic. But if you hear those words today, you think they are an insult. They're a criticism. Words have evolved. I came up, I, I tried to sit down this week and come up with some words that have changed over time. I remember a pad was something you wrote on with a pen. The mid-20th century, late-20th century, a pad was someplace you lived in. And now you live in a crib. I watch that show on TV sometimes. Um, a potato used to be something you eat. Now a couch potato is something that just sits on the couch and veges out watching TV. I grew up in Atlanta. A Coke was something you drank. It didn't matter what kind of soft drink it was, it called it a Coke. Today, a Coke is something you don't drink, and I'm not quite sure, and I don't want to go into it but it's not pleasant. Growing up, a cell was, was a small element in biology that comprised living things. Today, a cell is something you wear on your hip and talk through. I remember watching, uh, good night, it was the Anne Hathaway movie. Was it Princess Diaries or something like that? And uh, I think the queen comes and tells her that you are a princess, and she says, shut! Do you remember that? And what she meant was, get out of here. But she didn't mean get out of here either. You know, we, we change meanings of words 
so often. Another example of word change is family. It's an important word in society. Family, I believe, is the building block, the foundation of any society. And the extent to which that family is stable and secure, I believe that society is stable and secure. And when family begins to disintegrate, you'll see society begin to crumble. A couple years ago, Susan and Catherine and I were at Disney World, and we were riding through Spaceship Earth. Is that big globe, you know, at the front of Epcot when you enter in, and there's a ride, and when you go through uh, different ages of communication, one of the earliest is riding on cave walls. And I remember Susan pointing out that even on the cave wall, representing thousands of years ago, it depicted a man, a woman, and children, a family unit. Some things don't change. Word meanings change, but the importance of the family unit is a constant. But if I tried to define what a family unit was, I'd have to acknowledge that it comes in all shapes and sizes. And that's what Paul is talking about. Um, He says in verse 1 that it's better for men for individuals who choose not to marry because they can devote more of their lives, more of their time and energy to God. In verses 2 through 5, he talks about the relationship of a husband and wife and how when you're married, you become one person and you no longer belong to yourself. You belong to God. You belong to your spouse. In verse 8, he talks about spouses, uh, individuals whose spouses had died And what that situation is. Verse 11, he talks about individuals who once were married but now separated. And now whether or not they get back together. In verse 15, he talks about individuals who are married and are separated and are free to remarry. So there's all kinds of sizes and shapes that that family come in. In in 1 Corinthians 7 that Paul is trying to address. And specific situations that he feels the need to deal with and be specific about. Sometimes a family is one person. And don't think just because a person is by themselves that they're any less a family. They're not. They're still a family. Sometimes people choose not to marry for, for whatever reason. I remember the story about George Washington Carver. Do you remember the famous African-American scientist from Tuskegee Institute in Alabama? Uh, he it was a great asset for South Georgia because he discovered some, what, 325 different uses for the peanut and helped uh, rescue the economy there in Alabama and in Georgia, the peanut economy. In learning about his life, I discovered that George Washington Carver actually fell in love with a young woman, and the woman was in love with him, and they were going to get married. But he deliberately chose not to marry so he could devote himself wholeheartedly to the call he felt God had placed on his life. And he was able to devote all of his time and energy to research on the peanut. Sometimes a family is one. Sometimes a family is two. A husband and wife, sometimes choosing not to have children, sometimes unable to have children. But still the husband and wife represent a family unit and no less a family than any other kind. Sometimes a family is many. There is a husband and wife and children Sometimes many children, sometimes a few children. 
But that family can be many. I heard a story about a woman who had seven children and she was getting on a bus. It, it might have been the Duggar family when they only had seven. Remember Jim, Bob, and Michelle? I think they have like 19 or 21 or something like that and still counting, reality TV. Um, the young lady was getting on a bus with her seven children and the bus driver said, Lady, are these all your children or... or are you going on a picnic? And she said, Mr., these are my children, and I assure you, it's no picnic. That's the way it is sometimes. No matter what size or shape your family looks like, you're still a family, and you can still be that building block of society that God intended from the foundation of time to be, to put together, to strengthen what our culture, what our society can be. I heard a story about a man and woman who, who wanted to work on their relationship, and they were at a seminar, and they were talking about the importance of communication. And the instructor who was leading the seminar said how important it was that you talk to each other, that you know things about each other, you know what's important to the other. He said, for example, you ought to know, men, what your wife's favorite flower is. And the man looked at his wife and said, he whispered to her, he said, that's easy. Pillsbury all-purpose, isn't it? And that began a week in the doghouse for him. You know, no matter what size or shape your family is in, red roses, right? Among many, but that's her favorite. No matter what size or shape your family is, the key ingredient in family, if family is going to have any glue whatsoever to stick together, the key ingredient for that glue is commitment. It's commitment. I hammer away at commitment when I perform a wedding ceremony because I am convinced that whereas love brings people together and gets them married, Love has never kept a marriage together because love is an emotion and emotions can be fickle things. And sometimes you'll wake up and you'll see your spouse and you'll think, you're the most wonderful person in the world. I can't believe how blessed I am to be married to you. And some days you'll wake up and look at that person and, and things have been kind of on a downside and you'll, you won't say anything. But you'll think, um, well, never mind. You just, <laughs> you just wonder how things got the way they were. But that's because love is fickle. It's based in the heart. You can't count on it. What keeps marriages together is commitment. It is a decision. It's based in the brain. It's volitional. And when, commit, when, when, when love is up and down like this, <clears throat> commitment is steady, you know, if you can just get through the bad times, the, the good times are even sweeter. I, I had a guy in my last church, and he was getting married for the fifth time. And I said, why are you getting married now? I wouldn't marry him. He said, he said, well, you know, what happened the first four? He said, I just fell out of love. I said, so what? You stay together. You stay committed. You work through the bad times. And you'll be surprised. You'll fall in love again. The same things that 
brought you together the first time, will keep you together through the bad times, and will cement your relationship and make it even sweeter as the years go by. Wouldn't it be better to be married to one person for 50 years than, than 10 people for five years each? Or whatever. Commitment. And, and that commitment takes all kinds of shapes. It's commitment to God. That's implied in verse 35. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Whatever relationship you're in, in your home, in your family, your purpose is to love God and be devoted to him and serve him and let your family glorify him but all, by all that you say and do. Paul goes on over in 1 Corinthians 10, just a couple chapters over, verse 31, he says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Everything you do can bring God glory, can be to God's glory. Whatever you do in the family, let it glorify God. First of all, that's, that's the purpose of family, commitment to God. Secondly, commitment to each other. Verse 4, the wife does not rule over her own body. The husband does. The husband does not rule over his own body. The wife does. What Paul is saying, when you're married, to become one flesh. She's not just your arm. She's not just your leg. She is your whole body, and you are hers. And whatever you do to her or for her, you're doing to and for yourself. Paul is saying you have that commitment to each other, that, that, those vows that you've made, and that's what holds you together. And not only to your, to your God and to your spouse, but also you have an obligation to your children. Um, later in Paul's writing to Ephesus and in chapter 6, verse 4, it's a verse I quoted often to my parents to no avail. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, bring your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It matters very little what you say. What matters is what you do. What matters is your relationship to God. And as Sabina mentioned, the best gift fathers you can give your children is not another toy or another... Um, another thing to play with. The best gift you can leave your children is a love for God that is a legacy that's passed down from one generation to the next, to the next, and the next. So what is commitment? How do you describe commitment? I think the best thing I can do is just tell a story about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and as I tell this story, I want you to look for the qualities of trust, support, responsibility, and faithfulness. Trust, support, responsibility, and faithfulness. This is a great story, a great family. Abraham's the father of the nations. God told him that when they entered into covenant with Abraham. He told Abraham, if you'll go out and leave your home, I'll make of you a great nation, your descendants will be like the numbers of stars in the heavens. And so Abraham gathered up his belongings and he didn't know what to take because he didn't know where God was leading. He just knew that he had to follow God, that he was in relationship with God and he was going to be obedient and follow him, that God would take him to a place that he was yet to show him. And Abraham went. And all the while, Abraham's saying, God, you promised my descendants would be, would be many 
And here I am, 90 years old. Here I am, 95 years old. Here I am, 99 years old. My wife, Sarah, is 80. And God came and said, you will have a child. And they did. Years later, Isaac was born. God commanded Abraham to take his son, his only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him as an offering to God because God wanted to see. He knew Abraham loved Isaac, but God wanted to see if he still loved him more. And Abraham was willing to take Isaac, and he was ready to sacrifice him until at that very moment, God intervened and said, Stop! See the ram that is tangled up in the, in the bushes. Take that and sacrifice him to me, because now I know, Abraham, that you have not withheld your son, your only son, Isaac. You love me that much. Years later, Sarah died, and Abraham continued to love God. He had Sarah buried in the family plot at Machpelah, and Abraham went and found a wife for Isaac, a woman named Rebekah. And when he died, Abraham was buried beside Sarah at Machpelah and Isaac and Rebekah. And there were other, you don't get me wrong, there were other uh, women involved, other concubines that, that also bore Abraham children. But Abraham and Sarah was the family unit. It was a wonderful story, a great family, a great story. So it doesn't matter what your family looks, back, looks like. I, you know, uh, in the early pages of the, of the Bible, I just talked about that there was, there was polygamy. Let's just be honest. There was a, a man, one or two women, concubines, many children, but that evolved into the, the 19th century, the 20th century. Family was a man and a wife, and, and uh, the extended family lived together in the 19th century. There were grandparents and aunts and uncles, and they all lived Within, within sight of each other, often under the same roof. And as time evolved, they began to spread out a little bit. Family became uh, a husband and wife and, and five or six or seven children to help work the family farm. And then families grew smaller, husband, wife, maybe two children. Um, and then it looked like the Cleavers, Ward and June. In, 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 the, in the family home where the husband worked and the, and the wife stayed at home and raised the family and worked at home. Family has evolved over time. But the thing that has not changed is the importance of family as the foundational building block of society. Admiral Richard Byrd was famous for exploring Antarctica. And on many explorations, he almost died getting lost um, in, in ice barriers. Um, all kinds of things happened to him. And one particular occasion, he thought he was going to die. And he wrote a letter to his family. Some final words that he wanted to say if he never had the chance to see them again. He asked for their forgiveness. And he said, I have failed to see that the simple unpretentious things of life are what's most important. He said, in the end, only two things really matter to a man. And those are the affection and understanding of his family. The affection and understanding of his family. I've used this quote often. I'm not sure where, it's come, where it came from, but 
in funerals, I think it's so true that a man is a success when those who know him best love him most. When those who know him best love him most. And of course, that's your family. Because when you're out in public, men, you can fool people. When you just have passing acquaintances, you might make them think you're a good guy or an honest guy or a stand-up guy. But when you're home, behind closed doors, your family really knows what you're like when your hair is let down and the facades are dropped. And a man is a success when those who know him best love him most. And men, I got to tell you, to hear your daughter say, I want to marry a man like my father one day. Or ladies, for your daughter or your your son to say, I want to marry a, a, a woman like my mother one day. There's no greater honor or higher privilege to know that those who know you best still love you most. Let's pray. Father, we as men fail so often in providing the the leadership in in the home that we should. Leading our families to love and serve you, to worship you faithfully, and then to live for you throughout the week in the home where they see whether or not we back up what we say on Sunday by what we do with our honesty, with our integrity, with our love and respect for our fellow man, with our desire to share the gospel with all people. Father, let our families see us as fathers and men who love you and want to raise a family to do the same. Where we have failed, forgive us. Where our fathers have failed, let us not use that as an excuse, but look to you as our Heavenly Father to provide the model for for us to follow. Help us as families to remain strong and secure, to recommit ourselves today to you and to our spouses and, and to our children, to being the kind of husbands and fathers we need to be point them to you and to show them what it's like to live for you. We offer ourselves to you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to open up the doors of fellowship and invitation for you today. We had about 40 children who made professions of faith in Jesus Christ in Bible school this past Thursday. The evangelistic invitation. Little um, Haley Burns came forward in the early service. I understand some children are coming forward in the 1050 service. And there may be some children here this morning who need to profess their faith publicly. Maybe there's some who need to rededicate their lives after coming to Bible school, as Miss Marilyn was talking about the impact that Bible school and Sunday school can have on the life of a child. If you need to join this church, we would open up the doors of fellowship to you and and welcome you with open arms, but you need to decide publicly 
what God has led you to do privately. You come and share that with us. We'll sing, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us, number 61. I'll be at the front as you come. We'll stand and sing.
this morning. Uh, as we do so, just a, a reminder, um, Father's Day, men, we have Shoney's coupons for hot fudge cake for you to get on your way out. So just a way to remind men and fathers that you're important too. We, we get so overlooked compared to Mother's Day, I feel sometimes. And I'm not going to say any more about that. Uh, also, let's remember uh, our Guatemalan mission team got in late last night. They're back safely. The China mission team is still out. And the Ormond Beach Youth Retreat leaves tomorrow morning at 8.03. About 170 youth and chaperones leaving. Be praying for them. They'll join up with about another 230 young people at Ormond for 400 uh, down there. So uh, be praying for them as they head out for their safe travels and uh, for the retreat this week. Join with me now in, in welcoming Walker Berry. Walker, come and stand with me, please, sir. I had the privilege of, of talking to Walker Thursday uh, during the evangelistic uh, presentation, and, and he came forward, and we prayed, and he invited Jesus into his heart, and now he comes today saying he wants to join the church and be baptized as a public expression of that. Uh, Heath and Allison are here. You come and stand with Walker. And I think Kate just got the Happy Club bag this morning. This is going to be a big day for the, for the Barry family. Um, Brad Redding, come and stand with me, Brad. I think his parents are here. Thomas and Lindy, come and stand with Brad as well. Lindy's here, okay. And uh, Brad also came forward um, Thursday morning and professed his faith, prayed to invite Jesus into his heart, and, and uh, made his profession.